You're listening to the Centre Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. As we are in our, our, just our time of worship today, um, I just sensed the Lord speaking something different than what I prepared. Um, and so I want to share something different to what I prepared. Um, as I think it's important to always be in step with what God is doing. And, uh, yeah, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Here we have a passage of Scripture where Moses is uh, encountering God at the burning bush. And we're going we're gonna to read through some of this today and uh, really pray that God speaks to our hearts are you ready just to receive something from him today? I, I trust that somehow God would speak to us and challenge us afresh. We, we have this passage, and it says in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock at, of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses brought, Moses thought, I will go over to see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here am I. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look up. Here we have, at the very beginning, in verse 5, it says, Take off your sandals, because this is holy ground. One of the things that, the very first things that God was speaking to him was his call to servanthood. He was to remove his sandals before God. He was to come as a servant before God. God was calling Moses at this moment just to, to serve before him. Before anything else happened in the story, before anything else was spoken, he spoke immediately that he was to come before God in a place of servanthood. When we come before the Lord, when we enter his presence, he calls us to be his servants. Right? He calls us to servanthood. Right? When Jesus came to the earth, what did he come to do? Did he come to, to be served or to serve? Right? He came as a servant. And in the same way, when, when God speaks to you and I and, and he, he, when we encounter him, the first thing he calls us to do is to become like Jesus. Right? To come to a place of servanthood where we take off our sandals, take off who we, who we are and come to this place of, of servanthood. And then if we continue to read verses seven to ten, we have The story continue. The Lord says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, uh, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and some other ites, I'm sure. And now, the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh, 
to bring my people, the Egyptians, out of Egypt. God says this, he says, I heard the cry of the people, right? God was attentive. The people in Israel, uh, in Egypt were, were suffering. The Israelites were being, uh, being oppressed. And he says, I've, I've heard, so I, I've come down to rescue them. Thank you, God. He's going to rescue the people of Israel out of the hands of the Egyptians. But then the next line is quite interesting. Now go, I'm sending you. It's kind of like, I've heard that Burgess Hale, and I've heard that Brighton, you know, there's people that are in need, and I've come down to move powerfully in your midst, and, and to change people's lives, and I'm going to do amazing things, and now I'm sending you. God hears the cries of the lost world around us, doesn't He? And He's come to rescue them, but He sends us in His, as His ambassadors. He, he calls us to go, He has a calling upon us. Now, if Moses at this moment had just said yes, we would not have the next one and a half chapters. If Moses had just said, okay, cool, I'm in, I'm all in. He wasn't like Isaiah who said, here am I, Lord, send me. He, he, he started this dialogue with God of why he was not a good option. There, there's this whole discourse of, of why he thinks that actually... God didn't quite understand the situation. How many of you have been like that at some point where God didn't quite understand the situation from your perspective? God somehow has got it wrong. I know you're infallible, but this time you've got it wrong, God. Especially when it involves me. Well, here we have verse 11. But Moses, do you know every time in the Bible when there's a but and a man speaks, it's always to the negative. But every time that God speaks and there's a but, it's for the positive. Do you know that? Every time there's a but and someone of a, a, a man is speaking to God, it's always for the negative. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God says, I will be with you and this will be the sign to you. Um, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Now it doesn't, to be honest, that doesn't seem like a great sign, because that's after the fact. He's already brought the people out to this point, but this will be the sign that I'm with you, is that it will happen. You'll be here at one point, you'll, you'll worship me. Now, the very first thing that, that Moses says to God is, is, who am I? Who am I? This feeling of insignificance. I think Moses struggled when God said, I have a great plan for your life. I have a purpose. I have an intention for you. I'm going to lead. I'm going to use your life to lead the people of Israel out. I've I've got a great purpose. And Moses' quick response was, but who am I that you would call me to do this? Who am I? I think that sometimes we struggle with the same feeling of insignificance. When God says, I I want you to reach your neighbors. I want you to reach your community, the people at work. And be using, but who am I? I, I, I don't have that kind of charismatic personality. I'm a quiet guy. Use somebody else, God. Some, bring someone else in the neighborhood that's a good Christian. I'll be the silent witness for Jesus. Yet God is not looking at necessarily who you are. But it's more a matter of who God is in this passage of Scripture and in our lives. You see, God knew what He was going to do. And he knew who he was in Moses. 
That he was greater than all things. That he was going to do the signs and wonders. He was going to do the miraculous. And all he was looking for was not who Moses was. But he was looking really at Moses' availability. Because he knew who he was. God knew who he was. He, he knew what he was capable of doing. And then if we go down to verse 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go. What a great way to start, eh? Suppose I go. Hypothetically, God. If I were to do this. And say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? What should I tell them? Now, the, the whole passage continues on. God gives a great answer to that. We'll tell them, I am who I am. Not really helpful. Just tell them I am. But who's that? Who is I am? You see, God wasn't really giving Moses any breaks here on this passage. But then we, we jump down to verse 16. God's becoming a little bit more aggressive. He says, go, assemble the elders of Israel. See, it's no longer a question. Go, assemble the elders of, uh, of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and appear, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. He just says, go, go assemble the elders. Right? So this is the second time that God has said, go. Now, Moses continues to struggle. And in verse 19 it says, But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. Um, so stretch out your, your hand and strike the Egyptians with wonders that I will perform among them. After that he will let you go. Then verses 21 to 22, we have this, this passage, And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people so that when you leave um, so when you leave you will not leave empty handed every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing which you will put on your sons and daughters so you will plunder the Egyptians so here God God says he's going to do signs and wonders, right? The Israelites are going to plunder Egypt. He, he's got this big purpose, this, this big plan. But then if we keep looking at the story, so I'm just kind of building the story out before we really unpackage it all. In chapter 4, verses 1 to 7, it says this. It says, Moses answers, What if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it as you would. When the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took it by the, the snake by the tail and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand into your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his, into his cloak. And when he took it out, it was leprous like snow. So now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put it back into his cloak. And when he took it out, it was restored like the, flat, like the rest of his flesh. The first objective, objection we looked at was this feeling of insignificance. Who am I? 
The second thing that we see Moses was holding on to, God says, what is in your hand? What are you holding on to? What are the things that are stopping you? A staff for him was a, a tool of the trade, right? He was a shepherd looking after his uh, father-in-law's sheep. He was a, a walking stick. It was He guided the sheep. It protected the sheep. And God told him to throw it down. And as a shepherd, that would probably would not be some of the things you would do as a shepherd, right? To throw down the things that you're holding on to. And I think in following God's call for our lives, the first objection often we have is, but, but who am I? The second objection that often we have is the things that we hold on to that stop us from moving forward into the things God has for us in the future. All of us have things that when God says, uh, I, I want you to go this direction, there's always a sacrifice on our part of laying something down. I have never known a, a time in my life where God has not called me to, to something new that didn't require a sacrifice of me laying down something. There's always something that, that we're, we, we hold on to. Sometimes it's our job. Or it could be our reputation. Or it could be the things of, of what, what people might think about us. You see, it's difficult, I think, to move outside our safety zone or the things that we, we really hold on to, the things that we find secure. How many found that to be true? It's difficult to let those things go, to step into the unknown. And yet God calls us to, to follow Him, to follow His voice. Throw these things down so that it can be used in the supernatural way. I find every time that God has called me to lay something down, God has taken that and done something supernatural with it. Something supernatural happens when God is in control of whatever we hold on to. You see, so long as it's still in your hand, it's just a staff, it's just a job, it's, it's just a relationship. But when you can lay those things down because God is calling you to do something greater... That turns into something supernatural in his hands. It, it becomes now something that he can use for his honor and glory. Now, even for, for Moses, when he put his hand into his, his cloak and it came out as leprous. Do you know at that moment, it was the end of his life as he knew it. Just imagine, there was no medicine. When he took his hand out... It was his death sentence. It, it was as if God was saying, do you know what? I am in control here. Yes, there was this dialogue and Moses was wrestling. But you know, we don't hold the, 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 the keys of life and death. God is in control of all of these things. Our health, our mortality, all of these things. The time that we have, the, 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 the breath that we have in our lungs. Everything is in God's hands, isn't it? And even in this simple motion of, of him pulling out his hand... Had God not restored it, his life was over. He would no longer have been able to, to, to be with his family. He would, he would have been isolated. He would have been alone. At that moment, his life was over. And you can imagine the shock, the realization of pulling your hand out and realizing, I've got nothing now. I've got nothing. Whatever I was holding on to, I've got nothing. And you know, sometimes in life, we need a reality call. The very things we hold on to. By, Jesus said, the things that we hold on to, we're going to lose in the end anyways. But that which we can give up for His sake, we'll gain back so much more. The things that sometimes we're holding on to. You know, it's interesting. Some people don't do certain things because of financial reasons. Or they don't do things because of, of um, you know, no people that wouldn't really follow God in, in certain plans of their life because they, they had a great job, only to find out that they, the job, the company went bankrupt in the end. 
You know, but they miss that moment of opportunity. Sometimes the things that we hold on to at the end of the day are really of no value. Because God is ultimately in control of our destiny. And so here we have this understanding that uh, the things that, that Moses held on to, and often are the things that we are holding on to, our livelihood or our own protection or what we think is safe. But then Moses goes on. He, he really pulls out all the stops. And in verse 10, he continues on with this objections to God. Now, God has already said twice in this passage, go, right? Go. And he, 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 he isn't really asking a question, but he's, he's commanding Moses to go. But then we have in verse 10 of chapter 4, it says, Moses said to God, O Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since I've spoken to your servant. I am slow in speech and tongue. Now, whether that meant he stuttered or what, um, Moses clearly didn't feel he how it took. Then the Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? That's a good point, isn't it? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. He was looking, Moses again was looking at this lack of ability he had. For Moses, it was his speech. God's answer, I was the one who created the mouth. Surely I can help you speak. If I have given you the ability to have a tongue, then I can give you the ability to speak my word when you need to speak it. I am able to do these things. God is not looking for our ability. Can I just tell you that? God is not looking at, for your ability. He doesn't care about your ability. He's looking for people who are just willing to trust Him and take Him at His word. If Moses would have only just trusted at this moment... Now as we continue to read, he, God just gets, gets upset and says, Okay, I will use your brother to be your spokesperson, your puppet. I will, I will work through, through Aaron. Now Aaron wasn't God's first choice. God's first choice with Moses was to lead the people. Aaron was not to be part of the picture. And if we keep reading through the story of Exodus, Aaron becomes a trap and a snare down the road. Right? He leads the people to, to start worshipping uh, the, the golden calf. He, he causes problems for, for Moses. And it would have been easier for Moses had Aaron not been in the picture. But this was becoming second best. Because God knew that Moses was there was a plan for Moses' life. And then in verse 19. We have it one more time. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian. Go back to Egypt. For all the men who want to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife. So this is the fourth time. He says, go. Moses eventually submits to the call of God and became, I would say, one of the world's finest leaders in history. He, he led people through the desert. Uh, he led in remarkable circumstances. He led in battle. He led in moments when there was no provision. I mean, he, he led well over a million people, estimated maybe up to three million people, with no real experience. I mean, he was a world-class leader. He was someone who knew the presence of God. He, 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 he spent time alone with God. And you think God saw the end from the beginning. He saw what was going to happen in Moses' life. He, he knew what was really in Moses, the, the heart that Moses really had. He knew that Moses was able to do it. 
because God had empowered him to do it. And all these objections that Moses kept throwing back at, at, at God, God had an answer for, but he had already thought through. God already knew how it was all going to be trans, how it was going to transpire. He already had the plan and purpose. You see, we see in Exodus 33, 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Wow. Can I tell you what? For many of us, I think we live the backside of the desert looking after the sheep when God calls us to our destiny going forward. But I think for all of us, there are hurdles that we have to overcome and choose to surrender to God before we can step forward into our destiny for our lives. Even for, for Moses, God, God, even in the last time he tells Moses to go, he speaks of the people that who, if, you, if we read the story from the beginning, he tried to deliver Israel under his own strength and realized he kind of made a mess of it. He killed an Egyptian and even the Israelites didn't like that. And uh, he ran for his life. That's the only reason he was where he was. He, he was in fear. And God, even in that last time he tells Moses to go, he speaks about the fear. Saying, you know, even the people who were out to kill you are now dead. And so even if that was a subconscious thought in Moses, which possibly was, if I go back, they're going to kill me because the Egyptians don't like me. Even God silences that thought of fear. Moses' greatness at the end came by surrendering to the call of God. His greatest encounters with God came through surrender. And 2015, we're we're entering into a new year, and, and I love New Year's. Not New Year's Day, but the new year, the sense of this is a new season. And it's amazing how time quickly goes. You know, when you're young, time goes by so slowly. I remember when I was like 14, 15, I just wanted to be 18. I just wanted to be old. And somehow, the older you get, it starts to be like, now if we could just slow time down a little bit, it'd be helpful. Right? I don't know if you can appreciate that. Probably you can. Um, The reality is, 2014's come and gone. And however you lived your life, you, you, you you can't relive it. Right? It's gone. But what we do have is this point forward. We have 2015. We have this, this point looking at what God wants to do in our lives this year. And as I look at 2015, there's two ways we can look at it. We can look at it from playing it safe in the desert, just mending, tending our sheep and just doing our thing in the corner. But I believe God wants to get our attention to a greater purpose and plan He has for our lives. I believe He has a purpose for us. Even this year, each, each season that we come through as, a, as, a, as individuals and as a church, God has a plan and a purpose. We don't just bump along, killing time until He comes back. But He has a plan for you. And for some of you, maybe that plan is clear in your heart. You know where God is leading you. And maybe for others, you don't know. Maybe it's just a big mystery. But for whatever the case, or wherever you find yourself in the spectrum, what he's looking for us today are people that will be like Isaiah and not like Moses, that would say, God, here am I. I give my life to you. I don't hold on to anything. My, 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 my finances, my job, my family, my resources, what, what, I just give it all to you. 
I take my bit of ability or no ability and I surrender it to you. My insecurities of what I think I'm not, I give it all to you. God, whatever you want to do with my life, I'm yours. Do you know what? If as a church, every one of us went into this new year with that sense of fully surrender to God, do you know what he could do through us? It would be unbelievable. What could God do through your life if you had no inhibitions? You see, all that Moses presented to God was his inhibitions. What he, he thought he couldn't do. What he thought other people would think of him. What am I to say? What am I, how am I to do that? I've been on that discussion with God. I remember when I stood on Brighton Beach back in 2005 in August. And sensed that God was calling us to come to, to England. And I just remember, God, you have made a big mistake. This is not what I signed up for. Why would we do this? This is not, this is overwhelming. I remember all the questions, the kind of challenges that Moses worked through. I remember that feeling of, God, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a more talented person out there that can do this. Why would you send me and my family? And I thought through all the reasons as why, why not? And I remember Don and I, we, we, we talked about it, about why we would come, and why we would start the church, and why we, we wrestled through all of these things. And I think, I, I remember when I was questioning God, thinking he, he brought me to England for a mistake. There, there had to be a better plan than this. And I remember him just saying in my heart that this is my best plan for you. It's not going to be an easy road, but it's my best but I'm not forcing you to do it. And I think I was coming to God with the same kind of challenging questions that Moses had. Because it was going to change our lives completely. And, uh, and I remember Don and I talking just that we, we don't want to live our lives knowing we chose second best. That we chose that even though we knew God was speaking something, we chose uh, we'll, we'll play it safe because of whatever things we thought we were holding on to. And it can be a challenging thing. I remember Kyle and Julian shared a, a number of weeks back just about their journey even coming here as well. And just some of the challenges of laying things down. And it's hard to do that. It's hard to follow God because you can't follow God and hold on to the things that you're holding on to. It just doesn't work that way. But in laying it down, in surrendering, in giving your lives fully to Him, He does something miraculous through your life that if you could do it all over again, you would do it in a minute. You see, sometimes the things we hold on to are the things that will hurt us in the long run. If they're in our hands and not in His. God wants to do something great for your life this year. And maybe right now, again, as I said, it might not be clear what that is. But it starts from a place and positioning of, God, I surrender it all to you today. Here am I. I I give my life to you. I want to live this year on purpose for your kingdom and your purpose. God doesn't force us to do anything. That's an amazing thing. If I was God, I would just force us to do it. It would be so much easier, wouldn't it? If we just, you just made it mandatory. You didn't have an option. You just became like a robot. Well, that's not how God works, is it? He wants a journey with us. He wants us to trust Him. 
And you know what? I, I think Moses, this was really, from what we see in Scripture at least, this was Moses' first encounter with God. And he was talking through a burning bush. Can I say maybe right now our encounters with God could be like that? It's a bit distant. But you know what? God, when, when Moses took God at his word and he finally did it, God led him to a very intimate place of, with relationship where he would go into the tent of meeting with the Lord. Think of it. And he would speak to God as a man would speak to a friend. He, he would speak face to face with him. You know, I, I think in the place of surrender, in giving up everything to the Lord, we come to a place of intimacy with him. Where we know his presence and we know him in a way that right now, it seems even out of reach. And I believe at those moments, when, God, when Moses would sit with God talking, who knows what they talked about. Joshua would sit waiting, but they would just talk, I'm sure. We see the big, the major print, kind of the, the, the bold stuff in the scripture, but I'm sure they talked about all sorts of stuff. You have to have, because he wrote, Moses ended up writing most of the, you know, the first five books of the Bible. So obviously there was a lot communicated to him in those times. But if you were to ask Moses, was it all worth it? I'm sure you say, in a heartbeat, it was worth it. Just because of what we've seen in the past, doesn't mean it dictates what we'll see in the future. Right? Moses hadn't seen miracles. He was about to see the greatest miracles known to humanity. I mean, the plagues alone. Not just a call from heaven, things to happen, and things happen. Wow. But it took him being in the game, getting involved, saying, yes, Lord, here am I. And so just as we come to a close, I, I think it's just fitting as we come into a new year. And again, this wasn't what I planned to share at all, completely. It wasn't what I planned to share this morning. But I just sense God is wanting to speak to us, to get our heads in the game for this new year. And maybe there's something you're wrestling with. God is saying to you today, to surrender it, to let it go, to lay it down, to stop looking at who am I, to look at more at who is he. And if today you're, you're here and you say, God, I, I want to sign up for this, I want you to stand with me. And we're going to give a prayer of surrender this morning as we head into a new year of saying, God, we are here. We're ready. Bring it on. We want what you've got for our lives. But I don't want you to stand if you're not serious about it. Every time I've prayed that prayer, God has called me on it. When I was 17 years old, I prayed that prayer at the front of our church, saying, oh God, I give my life to you. But you know, a few months later, God says, you know, I'm calling you to mission. Oh. I believe God takes us at our word. And so please don't stand unless you're really... You're, you're really willing to say, God, I give it all up for you. But if you're like that today, I want you to stand with me right now. And we're going to pray our prayer of surrender. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast at Centre Church. One church passionately loving God and people in Burgess Hill and Brighton. To get the latest news or for any other information, check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.